Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Nabruzzi. Had a very exciting week. We've been talking about it for so long on this podcast, and finally, Tanya Brindle's hit positive. So I'm going straight to you, Giles. We've got to zero. Well, actually, I should caveat that. We got to zero today. We're recording on Wednesday. And at the time of recording, they have dipped a little bit under zero again. (laughs) But we temporarily got back to positive yields, which was very exciting. Uh, So where next? Where's the next uh, direction of travel? Upwards or downwards in yield, Giles? Well, very clearly. Clearly upwards, I think, uh, you know, we, I should remind everyone, unless uh, they haven't heard about it, we have a, this target of half a percentage point for ten, the 10-year the, the point in Bunds this year. And, you know, I think that this is, you know, I mean, obviously, you, you, you don't get there but, you know, without crossing the, um, you know, the negative to positive. Um, and so, you know, that is today's news and obviously very welcome. I'd stress that it's a little bit actually ahead of the, uh, the forecast profile that we, uh, that we previously had in mind. But, you know, regular listeners, assuming we have any, of course, I'd love to think that we do, <laughs> will know that um, you know, that, that wasn't too much of a surprise. And in fact, rather imprudently last week, I, uh, I suggested that you know, perhaps you might even, um, listening at the weekend, have, um, have seen this happen already. So, yeah, higher. And you know, why, for all the reasons that we've been repeating, um, you know, I think you know, higher inflation demands a response, central banks turning more hawkish, the end of QE. Um, you know, um, in Europe, there's all these questions about, um, about cross-border flows and so on. You know, the basic question being, you know, those who were sellers one to 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 allow the ECB to to buy what it needed to buy. <clears throat> no, that took place last year at a certain level, and now they don't need to sell any anything like the same kind of size this year. I mean, the difference is hundreds of billions, and we don't think that that comes without a concession. And so you've got the fundamentals, you've got the flows, everything, and you know, I think. Maybe the last thing to say about this: what, you know, what, what else have we learned on the on the flows side this week? Well, it turns out that uh, you know we didn't sell off as much, perhaps, in the first couple of weeks this uh, uh, this year, in part because the ECB was being perhaps more aggressive than than we had thought that they might have been, and you know, so we learned that yesterday. And you know, previously, you would go, "Oh, the ECB is being more aggressive." but they can continue to be more aggressive in the future. And therefore I'm going to take that as a bullish signal. Well, now we know that they are coming to the end uh, or that they're they're in the process of winding down. It's going to be a long process. And therefore them temporarily, because we now know that it is temporary, being more aggressive shouldn't necessarily be seen as a bullish signal. On the contrary, uh, to the extent it was supporting the markets of Baratron. I was going to say to what you said before, I'm sure my mum would class herself as a regular listener, but hopefully we have some that also know what bunds and yields are as well. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's a really good point that you make as well about the ECB flows, because I think that went a little bit under the radar yesterday of, of how strong those flows actually were. And also it, the data covers the week of Epiphany Day last, 
two last week or the week before and so actually that was a, a kind of low liquidity day too so perhaps it's even stronger than than it might have otherwise looked um so i guess the other big story in europe this week i bringing it a little bit back to the front end has been how many hikes really the front end now has priced in i mean we've got a one full hike at least by the end of 2022 that's one 10 basis point hike and then we get back to zero percent by the end of 2023 so an additional four at least in 2023 um the ecb have been very clear so far that they don't think rates will rise in 2022 uh, and I think it you'd be hard pressed to get them hiking as fast as the market is pricing in so is this the market that's saying that they think the ECB is going to be more hawkish than they're saying and they are going to have to hike faster or is that front-end pricing a reflection of something else um, perhaps related to TLTROs or, or anything else? Excellent question. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's perfectly legitimate. Oh, well, I don't just think it is clearly perfectly legitimate for the, the markets to say, okay, well, you know, we understand your assessment. Nonetheless, you know, we think that there's a reasonable chance, at the very least, that you are being too sanguine, as you were uh, for most of last year about inflation, and that you know, by the time you are taking stock around the middle of this year, you're going to be in more of a hurry. So now that's the, that's the first thing to say. I don't, I don't think that's, that's crazy, but I think that to price in a full 10 basis point rise by September is pretty aggressive. And the rest of the path that you are describing, Imogen, um, into next year is also already pretty aggressive. In fact, I'd say very aggressive. Now, I mean, to answer the question about is there a liquidity component in there? So this is this idea that because we have this exceptionally um, easy sort of monetary policy with loads and loads of liquidity kind of sloshing around, that's kind of driven market rates down even further, sort of below the policy, the policy rate. Um, you know, if we have liquidity events that kind of take away some of that excess liquidity in the in, in the coming uh, in the coming months, and the TLTRO is potentially a big one uh, in in June. I think it's perfectly reasonable to be talking about half a trillion, a trillion, you know, something like that. I mean, very large numbers of repayments. Then does that change things, and should that be priced in? Um, and so maybe the front end is actually considering that risk rather than an actual conscious decision by the ECB to, to raise its policy rate? And the answer is no, that's not what's going on. Okay, I mean, if anyone is sort of, you know, if that is the part of the rationalization, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't oppose it with rate hike arguments, okay? I don't think it makes sense for the front end to be pricing rate hikes quite this aggressively. And no, bottom line, yeah, I think that there's value in the front end. Okay, thank you. Um, now, the final question on Europe, because we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and I promised listeners that we would talk about it again when the time came. Uh, but by the time uh, this episode is out, or by the time listeners might be listening to this, um, the uh, will be thinking very much about the Italian presidential elections. Voting starts on Monday um, and we think could well take a few days before we get any kind of conclusion. But how nervous are you about this as a kind of risk event for BTPs? 
Well, listen, I mean, there, there are a number of risk events out there, to be honest with you. The, you know, the presidential election for uh, in, in Italy is is one of them. Um, you know, I mean, politics and geopolitics are, you know, I mean, they're very much, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd say that they are you know, up there with inflation as potential drivers for, for this year. Now, um, and, you know, this week, obviously, I also have in mind what's going on in Russia, for example. And you know, we shouldn't take our eyes off the off the ball with, uh, with with that by any means. And I only say so because we haven't discussed it in any other context um, on this call. But is it, it is it is super important for the Italian election. Well, you know what? You know, I, I guess that you know we our uh, our line on this one hasn't particularly changed. We, we you know, in fact, you went through the scenarios um, in, in, in something that we did last week and you know, the sort of probability weighted um, you know, assessment of the various outcomes actually supported a more supportive, supported more supportive, you know, uh, a, a, a more constructive outlook on, on, on BTPs. Uh, now, I think that around about where they are, is probably balancing risks reasonably well, but you know, I think that it makes sense for investors to be cautious because you know, the range of outcomes and uh, you know is is pretty wide. So I think you know there there could be absolutely some some volatility next uh, next week. I don't have a lot else to add. I mean, you know, it's a it's it's a sort of you know, private closed ballot. You know, a, um, you know we, we we don't really know who might be you know, genuine. No, I mean even sort of. You know, Behind the scenes, sort of trying to um, trying to get support and so on. You know, it can, I mean, the, these things are hugely unpredictable. Um, the bottom line is, markets want to see Mario Draghi continuing as prime minister, and don't really want that to change. And so, you know, and, and and it may well, it may well. Um, the other point, maybe just to, to finish on this, though, um, we were also looking at. The flows around BTPs, particularly uh, thinking about banks and thinking about behavior around the, the beginning of the year. And actually, that didn't look particularly, in fact, we felt we, we came away from that exercise feeling a little bit reassured. Let's just put it there. A nice plug for any of our listeners that have access to my Agile Markets. Watch out for a note coming on that very soon. Or maybe we can talk about it next week, Imogen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week's discussion. I'm sure people will be very interested in that. Um, so we've not got Theo with us today, but on a day when um, a kind of another overshoot in UK inflation has really been driving rates markets, it feels a bit remiss to not mention it on this podcast. So perhaps you can step into the issues a little bit today, Giles, and just give, I guess, your updated thoughts on, on UK inflation following um, that, that big upside surprise this morning, which has led to a fair amount of repricing at a moment when it felt like we might have been coming close to kind of peak hawkishness at, at, at this moment in sort of global fixed income markets well i mean yeah listen it just it just shows yet again how uncertain inflation is at the moment everywhere and particularly in the uk um it was a very big upside surprise and you know, i think it you know, clearly you know with we also had labor market data this week in, in the uk and together i think it you know, almost certainly nails on the rate hike that markets have uh, have been expecting for a while in two weeks time and uh, the February meeting. 
know, I think if anything, it's probably not ridiculous to be starting to price in some risk at the very least of possibly more than just the, the 25 basis points that are currently priced in there. But certainly, I think it ups, ups the ante for rate, rate hike expectations in the UK over the course of this year. So maybe that's enough on that. Um, but it's fueling inflation, inflationary sentiment everywhere today, I would say. It definitely is. All right, then, Dan, over to you in the US, because until today, when I said, you know, like I said, the UK has been driving markets, it's really been US treasuries that have been uh, driving global fixed income markets higher. Uh, and by that, I mean, really yesterday, because they were, of course, out on Monday. <laughs> but yesterday, they, they moved higher in, in quite a big way. And so what was driving that shift, would you say? Yeah, but I mean, Giles will be a difficult act to follow with his really broad coverage today, but uh, a quick look at treasuries. Last week, when we were kind of writing our uh, our closing remarks for, for the week, we, we saw two different paths that trading until the next Fed meeting, next week's Fed meeting can go. I remember now we're in the middle of a self-imposed blackout period by the FOMC, so they're not going to be any uh, FOMC officials speaking until the meeting. So we saw really two alternatives and that's what really would have made these two weeks interesting first would be uh what we have been seeing in fact there was a lot of powerful hawkish rhetoric built into the market i mean even after we recorded the podcast last week uh where we sort of touched up on this but it wasn't really as pronounced and the last few days even last few hours of the week there was a, a just like a slew of fomc officials coming out and in a very harmonious tone uh, saying we're not going to tolerate inflation or we're not going to tolerate inflation running its course on its own. We're going to have to act. Uh, there's not going to be uh, a lot of waiting around. And that came from, you know, you would expect that from the more uh, hawker side of the aisle, but the, the, the other end of the spectrum also gave that, uh, was behind that idea. So, so I think that was scenario A where markets could run with that rhetoric and start building new ones on top of it. So uh, what I thought could happen, what we're seeing now is things like market pricing and 50 basis points for March. I think that's wrong. I think uh, that has nothing to do with our core views of uh, rates uh, going higher driven by the front end and the belly. But for a March meeting, I think that's a little bit excessive. A, um, there's still, I mean, there's still in quantitative ease. We're still having exited bond buying we are about to but i think we're getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves there and uh and b i think it's just not that consistent with the fed's way of signaling things and i don't think they would want to give that position of being in, in panic if that makes sense but i think that's what's happening here uh what we're seeing well today's it has reversed a little bit but what we're seeing is just markets really running with with the view that the fed's going to have to be really quick, really big, and really aggressive. I guess along those lines then, what's your view for what they deliver, if anything, at next week's meeting? Next week's meeting is probably going to be pretty critical in setting expectations for the remainder of this year. Uh, we, we don't expect anything specific on, uh, uh, you know, as an action, they probably are going to allude to a potential rate hike at the next meeting. Well, we're envisioning something like 2015, where they said they're going to 
uh, determine whether it would be appropriate to raise interest rates at the next meeting if economic conditions hold and if it's you know consistent with their dual mandate. So we think we can get some uh, language like that. Additionally, which would solidify a, a March hike. Uh, we also think that they're going to mention how they have been discussing uh, balance sheet rundown again. This will be the second meeting as the, the December one was officially the, uh, the, the first one where they debated it, uh, as we saw in the minutes. So that makes the second one and opens up room for mid-year uh, beginning to, uh, to balance sheet rundown. And I just think in general, uh, the language behind in the press conference is going to be a lot more uh, e echoing what we got from the other officials coming out and saying the Fed's not going to be waiting around this year and they're going to be reducing the balance sheet, they're going to be hiking interest rates, uh, and they're going to be you know, trying to tackle inflation now and completely abandon the transitory rhetoric. So one final question, I suppose, is that we and, and regular listeners to the podcast will know that we've been calling for some time for um, higher rates in the US and a kind of flatter curve such that the, the sell-off is really led by um, the kind of five-year and the belly of the curve as more rate hikes are priced in. Um, and that's been a very good call for, you know, we've had it on almost a year, perhaps now maybe um, a bit less than a year. Um, but what do we think then is the trigger to get to that point? Because like you say, we were thinking kind of last week, we've got to maybe sort of peak hawkishness. And then we had this uh, second round of hawkish kind of comments at the end of the last week and over the weekend, and now we're in blackout period. So what does it take for the market to really get to the kind of terminal rate that we're thinking about of, you know, 2.5% or higher versus what they're expecting right now, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is probably less than 2%, I think. Yeah, so the market flatlines around six and a half, seven hikes around. There's six and a half, more or less, priced in by the end of 2023. And up like a couple of years after that, it just flatlines around seven. So the market right now views that this will be a quick and fast cycle, but it's not going to be a prolonged cycle. This, that's where we really defer. We think this uh, economic kind of cycle has more likes to it. I think it's going to we think it's going to run a little bit longer than what's priced in by the, uh, I guess, the, the OIS markets. So uh, our expectation is that once the Fed starts hiking, they're not going to stop abruptly. And next year, we think they're going to keep going uh, until they hit, uh, they hit something like the 2.5%, their long-run target, or perhaps with risks for upside for that. We, we are a lot more optimistic, I suppose, on this cycle and the, on the longevity of this cycle than what's priced in the market. So we think that's going to be the next catalyst, just accepting that even these, uh, once the Fed starts delivering these hikes, it's not going to be the end of the growth boom that we uh, we have been seeing and we're, we're likely to continue seeing for some time. Uh, it's not going to be the end of that. And once markets kind of fully price that in, that should lift that uh, the flatness of the, the very front end and assume that the Fed can continue a little bit down the line, boosting twos and fives and such. There's still more hawkishness to come, despite the all the repricing that we've had so far. All right, then. Thank you very much, both of you. I think that's probably all we've got time for. But we will catch up again next week after the Fed. Uh
uh, and we'll be able to assess um, everything that we've been talking about. And of course, well, potentially um, after the results of the presidential election in Italy as well. Um, so yeah, thank you again for joining me. And just a reminder to listeners, if you liked today's episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. See you again next week. Bye.